morning. You might wonder how do we get from like holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty to, to that. And, and here's the connection. If God is holy and he is worthy and he is the sacrificial lamb and he's died in our place and he's the most beautiful thing in all creation and we believe that, we believe he's worth our lives, then every single phase in a child's life, every single moment is an opportunity to help them see how awesome God is. Every single moment. And for most of us, and I, I can speak because, you know, I'm a parent of three and, and one on the way. We're about to move very soon into the realm of having four kids, five years old and under. So you can pray for us um, very much. Please pray for us a lot. Um, that you get in the cycle of a lot of times your, your kids, they, they go into these, these different phases of life. And if you're not careful, you, you just look forward to them moving past and moving on to the next phase. Like, I'm ready to be kind of done with this one, move on to the next one. I was sharing with the early service that two years ago, almost uh, to a couple weeks ago, uh, two years ago, yeah, about this time two years ago, sorry, we were on our way to the beach. We were in Raleigh, North Carolina. My daughter's almost two. She's learning how to speak, and she's actually pretty articulate for that age, and starting to put sentences together and all that. It's just a really unique time of life, and so we're at a restaurant, and there are all these kids kind of playing this grassy area behind the restaurant, and my just sweet little princess is pointing at one of the children, and in uh, her sweet, just innocent princess voice is trying to get our attention, mommy, daddy, that kind of thing. And so we kind of lean in. It's like, what, what's she going to say? It's, you know, mommy, daddy, you see that little girl over there? I'm like, yeah, we see that little girl. And this beautiful smile, I want to hurt her. I want to hurt. And it's like, what? I, w- I want to hurt her. Like, what? <laughs> You're not even two years old. Like, what are you saying? Like, psycho child, ready to get past this phase, on to the next phase. And we do that. Elementary school, middle school, and high school, there's challenges, unique challenges, and just like, I'm ready to move past those. But the point is that every single phase of life in a parenthood uh, leadership as you invest in the next generation is a unique opportunity to show them the beauty and the glory and the worth of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, as uncles, as older siblings, as the family of God who are invested in families the next generation, we will miss the moments that God has given us. And so this morning on Mother's Day, and we just we honor moms, we celebrate moms, we just want to take a step out of the Colossians series for one week to talk about the family and talk about what does it look like for us as the family of God, as the church family, Tri-Cities Baptist Church, to help moms and dads, to help grandparents, aunts and uncles, to help us as the people of God who invest in the next generation to leverage the moments God has given us for what matters most. Every child should matter to us because every child matters to God. Every child should matter to us because every child has been created in the image of God, in His image and likeness. So what does it look like for you and for me to invest our lives into our kids? How do we make sure as parents that we don't miss these moments, that we leverage them for what matters most? How do we make sure as grandparents... That, and I'm convinced, this to speak to the grandparents in this room, you are in some of the best years of your life where you can make the biggest difference for the kingdom of God right where you are. 
those who are young in life, thinking about marriage, thinking about kids, thinking about those things, you're a unique point in life when you can also, even if you don't have children, leverage your lives to help the next generation see Jesus. So how do we do that? That's, that's our aim this morning. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, just go ahead and turn there. And I, I do just want to say to the mothers this morning, man, thank you for all that you do. You guys are on the front lines of helping kids, students, uh, find their joy in Jesus Christ. We know there's a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of hard work, and you don't do it for your kids' success. You don't do it because you want to be the most awesome mom on Facebook. You do it because you want to bring glory to your Father. And for everyone who does that, I just applaud you and thank you for all the effort you put into that. I wouldn't be here in front of you this morning if it wasn't for the investment of a mother in me, a father in me, but I just recognize my mom, who's downstairs teaching one of the study groups right now, uh, just investing in me, my, my brothers and sisters loving us, loving God more than she loved us, praise God, loving her husband more than she loved us, praise God, so thankful for that, affirming that in front of us, loving the church and making the church a priority in our lives, not just something we do every now and again, but we love the church growing up because my parents love the church growing up. She would stay homes and send us on mission trips uh, with dad and others. Uh, I got the unique opportunity that before I graduated high school, I'd been on 10 different mission trips. My parents just said, you know what, the gospel is the most important thing to go. Go, we're going to make sure you go, we're going to send you, we're going to go with you. And I wouldn't be in front of you as one of your pastors if it wasn't for parents saying we're going to try to leverage those moments that God has given us so that you can see and love Jesus Christ. And so what does that look like in our lives? So I think Deuteronomy 6 gives us the charge, but it also gives us, gives us the why, it gives us the what, but it also gives us the how. And so if you're coming from one of the study groups this morning, I'm so glad that you went. I hope it was an encouragement to you. We got more into some of the practical implications of parenting, grandparenting, singleness, all those things. Now we're going to kind of go big picture on it. And if you missed it, we'll have other opportunities later on for you to be a part of that. Um, and before we just read this passage, I just want to mention while I remember it that we do have some resources this morning. Our next-gen team has been working very hard on a family discipleship plan to help you in this. This is for parents, this is for grandparents, this is leaders, aunts and uncles. Anyone who has a child in their life who they want to see the Lord, love Him, follow Him, the family discipleship plan is an awesome resource for you. And on your way out, if you've not grabbed one already, you can grab one of these magnets, put it on your refrigerator, put it in your house. It has the link on it, but also has Psalm 127. It's just a great reminder to put around you of God's Word, of what we've been called to do. There's also some books out there that you can purchase. Um, there's one called Treasuring Christ When Your Hands Are Full, Gospel Meditations for Busy Moms. Um, husbands, if you forgot it was Mother's Day and haven't gotten the Mother's Day gift yet, you can act like I didn't tell you this in service and you'd already purchased one, um, you know, but that would be a great resource for you ladies or for your wife or mom, and we have another one on family worship, and there's Jesus Storybook Bibles out there, other things. One of the things I love about both these books is they're small, you know, for those of us who don't like to read a whole lot, they're really good resources. So the most important resource is God's words. Let's go right there. Deuteronomy 6. We're going to really focus in on verses 4 through 9, but I want to start in verse 1 because it sets up the context. It says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules, the Lord your God. So Moses is speaking, but God is speaking through Moses, has commanded me, Moses, to teach you 
that you may do them in the land that you're going over to possess. So the children of Israel, they've come out of Egypt. They were on the verge going to the land. They chose not to follow God, to flee. And so they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. A generation has died off. Now they're getting ready to go into the land that God's promised them. And God, through Moses, is giving them the directions. If you do these things, you will thrive in the land that God has given you. And it's not just a message to them, it's a message to us. Moms and dads, if we will do these things, we'll be setting our children up to thrive in life, succeed in life, flourish in life. Grandparents, if you do these things, if you lean into these things, if you leverage these things, it will help your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren flourish in their pursuit of God thrive in the life that God has called them to, find success. For those of us who are leaders in this room and those of us who invest in the next generation through this church, if we do these things, it will help the children and students we serve flourish and thrive and find their joy in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. That you may fear the Lord your God, Place God at the center of your life and everything gets better. We believe that if Jesus is at the center of every child or every student or every parent, every grandparent, every aunt, every uncle, if it's at the center of their lives, their lives will get better. Amen? Their lives would be better astronomically if Jesus is at the center of it. So this is what God, through Moses, is telling the people. Make God the center. And he says, your sons... Your son's sons, your, you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, it's a generational thing. By keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, uh, as the God, the Lord of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing of milk and honey. Do these things and you will thrive. Do these things and you will live. Do these things and you'll have a joyful life. It doesn't mean that you'll have an easy life or it'll be a pain-free life, but it'll be a good life. Verse 4. Hear. Listen. 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 O Israel, all the people of God, not just parents, all the people of God, those who follow Jesus Christ, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord, He is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. He's saying that we are to help our children love Jesus Christ. Love God with all that they are, with all that they think, with all that they love, with all that they desire, with all of their abilities. Love God with all that you are. Well, how do you help them do that? You teach them. You teach them diligently. When do you teach them? When they wake up, as you're traveling to where you're going to go, around the meal table, when they go to bed. That's what he's saying. There's the how and the why and the where that's happening here. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What's all that about? It means that you're going to put God's word and God's law in plain sight. It's going to be in your line of sight. It's going to be around you. You put it in your home. You put it on your doorpost. You put it around you so that every time your kids look around, they're reminded of what their life is all about. 
And it's all about God. And so this morning, we're going to just wrestle for the next few minutes. What does it look like for us, us collectively, to help the next generation find their joy in Jesus Christ? So would you just pray with me? And then we're just going to pull out a few principles from this passage and we'll be finished. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can dive into your word. Lord, we need you. Open our eyes to see who you are. Change us. Change us. Make us more like yourself. Lord, I pray for our church family and for my friends, these people in this room. I pray that you in them and in me would just create a deep-rooted conviction that one of the greatest things we can do with our lives is invest our lives into the people that you've placed into our lives for your glory. Lord, we pray that you be glorified, that nothing would be known except Jesus Christ and him crucified in this place. We give you the praise. In your name I pray. Amen. Here's the big idea that I want you to wrestle with with me from this passage. Here's what I want you to think about. This applies to every single person in this room. This text, and before you kind of lean out, I want to encourage you just to lean in. And here's what I want you to think about. This is not just for parents. It's not just for grandparents. It is for those of us. But it's for the faith family. And so if you're here this morning and you are a Jesus follower and Tri-Cities is your home, this message, this passage is as much for you as it is for the parents in this room. We're going to connect the dots to that. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower, you're here because it's Mother's Day and you're with mom, or you're here just because your parents made you come, or whatever that is, or you're just checking things out, we're glad you're here. I just encourage you to lean in, listen, take notes, ask questions. And we'd love to dialogue with you on, on this topic. So here's the big idea. The most significant thing that the majority of us will accomplish with our lives is not something that we do, but someone we raise. The most significant thing that the majority of us in this room will accomplish with our lives is not something that we do. It's not a career move. It's not climbing a corporate ladder. It's not getting the boat. It's not having successful kids. It's not getting the best grades. It's not getting the best likes on Facebook. It's none of those things. The most significant thing that most of us will accomplish with our lives is someone we raise. A big point of Deuteronomy 6. Love God with all that you are and then take all that you are and invest that love into others. He doesn't say, the first thing he doesn't say is love God with all your heart and then go preach the gospel. He says love God with all your heart and then go invest this into your children. Because if it happens in us and it happens in our children, it will go out to others. But here's the second half. We are all disciple makers. Everyone in this room, you're making disciples. Everybody. Whether you mean to or not. Whether I mean to or not. The only question is whether we are pointing the someones in our lives to find their joy in Jesus, or are we pointing the someones in our lives to find their joy in something else? Everyone in this room is saying with our lives what we value most. The question is, is what we value most, Jesus Christ. And here's here's the truth. The things that we value most and we put in front of our kids to value most, those are the things that they're going to try to find their joy in. 
every single person in this room and every single child and student in our church, in our ministries, in your home is going to try to find their joy in something. The question is, will it be Jesus or will it be something else? And so one of the most important things that we can do as parents, as grandparents, as the faith family, as siblings, as aunts and uncles, is we can help those that God has placed in our lives to see Him, to love Him, to follow Him. So the question is, how do we do that? And the answer is one of the primary ways that we do that is through family discipleship. Family discipleship, it's something that, it's a charge that's given to every single parent. And we've kind of looked at that. But it's also a charge that's given to the people of God. In fact, I would even say that because of Ephesians 4.17, which says that we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's the calling of every pastor, every church leader, every life group leader, every study group leader. If you're in leadership in any way in our church, if you're a next-gen leader, that's our goal. That's our calling to equip them. The way we equip people is through discipleship. One of the primary ways we disciple children is through the family. That this should be the heartbeat of our church. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church family that it is. That we would stop a series on a Sunday morning on Mother's Day and say we're going to talk about family discipleship. We're going to talk about the family because the family matters. Because God says it matters. And if the family loves Jesus, the kids love Jesus. And the kids love Jesus, their families will love Jesus. And then change begins happening. Change isn't going to happen because we get a new president new representative. Change isn't going to happen because we go back to the good old days. Change happens when parents and grandparents love Jesus with all their heart, soul, might, and strength. And then their kids love Jesus with all their heart and their soul and their strength. And it goes out and it replicates out. And so this morning we want to talk about what is family discipleship? How do we wrestle through it? And so here's just a definition and all this stuff you can download online. So you can just listen. It says this, family discipleship is a strategic and intentional partnership between the family of faith and the family at home to help the next generation find their joy in Jesus Christ. It's a partnership. It's strategic and it's intentional. The church and the home saying we're going to come together to help all the children, all the students find their joy in Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. So what does that look like practically for us? Well, Deuteronomy 6 says so much that we're going to look at four things very quickly and we'll be finished. The first one is this. Family discipleship is not only the responsibility of parents, but also the responsibility of the entire faith family. It's really easy if we're not careful to kind of just dismiss messages like this and say, oh, that's for parents. I'm not a parent. I'm a high school student. Or I'm married, but we don't have kids. Or I'm a grandparent, and our kids are all grown up. No, this charge given to us by God is given to you and to me. How do we know that? Verse 4, hear, O Israel. Who is Israel? The faith family. The faith family. He doesn't say, hear mom and dads, or hear grandparents, or hear people who serve in the nursery, or hear people who serve in the student ministry. He says, no, hear, oh Israel, the whole faith family, this is given to us. Investing in the spiritual health of the family and the next generation is critical because the family cannot thrive apart from the family of faith. This is God's design. It's His design. We need the faith family. Every single child 
needs the love of the family. They need the love of their parents. They need the love of their grandparents. They need the love of their... They need that. They need a family to love them, but they also need a tribe to belong to. And anyone who has kids, especially who are older in elementary school, middle school, high school, or college, you know this. Everyone wants to belong somewhere, and they are going to be loved at home, but they're going to find their belonging somewhere. And here's what I would love to see happen. What would it look like if all the students and all the children who found Tri-Cities Baptist Church, their church family in their home, what if they found their community here? What if they found the tribe that they belong to here? What if it was you? What if it was me? What if it was us investing in the lives of our students? What difference could that make? What difference could that make? We have, and I'm our family pastor, so I work uh, every week with our leaders. We have awesome leaders who are moms and dads. I love having parents in our ministry. I love having them serve alongside of us. Some of our best leaders are parents. But you know what? Some of our best leaders are college students, singles. Some of our best leaders are single professionals. Some of our best leaders are young married couples without kids. Some of our very best leaders are grandparents. You've said, you know what, I'm going to leverage the time that God has given me in this phase of life to help children outside of just my physical family love and follow Jesus Christ. Parents, lean into that. Moms and dads, lean into that. Embrace the church family because it will help your children love and see Jesus Christ. In fact, I just speak to the parents in the room and the grandparents in the room. If church is not a priority for you and the faith family is not a priority for you and you just kind of come and go as it's convenient for you, and I speak this in love, not being legalistic at all. If your children are struggling, one of the reasons could be is because you're withholding a grace that God has given to them that you've taken away by not letting them be in the presence of the family of God. For the parents in the room who maybe you only come one hour, I would encourage you to come two hours, serve an hour, go to worship an hour, be in study group an hour, come. If you come here one hour, bring your children into worship with you if they're elementary or older. Let them experience it. Let them be a part of the story. Let them be a part of the message. Let them see the Lord's Supper taken. Let them see baptism. Let them participate in that. They can see mom and dad sing. They, can see, they need to see that. They need to be a part of the gathering. And it's compelling to them. And I just speak to everyone in this room. How are you, if you're a part of this faith family, investing in the next generation? Your kids, your grandkids. But what about all the other children? What about all the other students? Maybe you serve, choose to serve in Wired. Maybe you choose to serve in kids groups. Maybe you get involved in a life group and you kind of help adopt a family that's here and their kids and you love on them, you pray for them, and you invest in them, you take them fishing or out for ice cream and you love on them. Grandparents, how are you doing this for your grandchildren? It's the responsibility of the faith family, not just the parents. When we say no to investing in the family, the next generation, we're saying no to part of God's plan. But here's the second, second truth about family discipleship. Family discipleship is all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. Look with me uh, in verse 4, and this is so important. I want to make sure that, that we catch it. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one. 
And for those of us who, if you grew up in a church culture, it's easy to skip over that because we just always have believed that God is one. But this is a very radical statement because in this society at this time, there are multiple gods and multiple areas you can worship and all these kind of things. And so for God, through most to say there's only one God, it's defining. And if we believe this, Hang with me. If we believe this, that there is only one God, that He alone is worthy and He alone is holy and He alone is good and He's created us in His image for His glory, if if all that is true, then the very best thing and the purpose of your family and my family and the reason we exist is to glorify Him. This is what we've been called to do. So to the parents and the grandparents in this room, what are you doing to help make the glory of God be the central focus of your family? What are you doing to help put God on display for your children? How are you doing that? What does that look like in you? Because that, that is what we exist for. That's why we are here. And so, the Lord is one. We don't want to miss the significance of this. He is worthy, and so our family should live to make Him worthy. Another thing that's really true And we see this in this passage. As parents, as leaders, as grandparents, when we see God as one, and we see God as worthy, and we make Him the center of our lives, and we begin to teach our children these things, we begin seeing God as more worthy. It changes our perspective of God. I read this quote the other day, and I think it's just so good, and I think uh, anyone who's a parent in this room, you're going to you're going to lean into this and enjoy it. It says this, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Anyone in this room ever have a child who's in spirit fierce and free at the same time? Anybody besides me? Okay, a couple of you. All right, we'll keep going. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again, do it again. Anybody in here ever have a child say that? Okay, a couple of you, be honest. All right, keep going. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But listen to this, this is so cool. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. Have you ever thought about that? Listen to this. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father, though ancient, is younger than we. There's something in the energy, in the vitality, and the passion of a child that reflects the image of God to us. And when we as parents begin leaning in and making life about the glory of God, making it about Him, and how do we help our children see God, we begin seeing God in our children. It begins changing the way we live. It changes the way we see who God is. So just really practically, one of the biggest temptations for your heart, for my heart, speaking to mom and dad, speaking to grandparents, future parents in this room, to all of us, one of our biggest temptations is going to be to put the priority of our lives on something other than God. 
And in fact, we're not careful as parents. What we'll do is we'll make our children's success, become a better athlete, have the best grades, best at band, honor roll, whatever that is. We'll make those things little gods in our family. Or we'll be parents that are so focused on our children's happiness and what makes them happy and what makes them happy that we'll miss what makes them have joy. Or we'll spend our parenting focused on how does our child make us look. And I struggle with these things too. But what we're doing when we do that is we're saying, hey, this is what's worth most. This is what's worth your glory. This is what's worth value. This is what you should invest your life in. And what we begin doing, if we're not careful, is we begin putting idols in our children's lives that we celebrate. Think about how sad this is. And we begin creating false gods for our children to worship that will never satisfy their soul and that will always let them down. And so we run after them as parents and our kids end up running after them. In fact, this is our all, all of us, this is our tendency. You see, we try to find our identity in things. But your identity is not found in what you possess. Your identity is found in what possesses you. When we tell our kids, hey, try to grab all these things, try to possess these things and you'll be happy, what ends up is those things end up possessing them instead of the Lord. And so we have to fight the fight to say, you know what? These things are good things, but they're not God. They're not the ultimate thing. They're not the most important thing. They're all meant to reflect you and us to them. We have to put God at the center. And this is really convicting for me as a parent. And Pastor Mike talks about this all the time. And that's, it's not what we say that gets replicated into the lives of other people. It's who we are that gets replicated into the lives of others. Your children aren't going to follow what you say. They're going to follow who you are. But who are you? What are you trying to find your joy in today? Here's the third thing. Family discipleship is a fight for the heart. And we cannot fight for the heart until we fight from the heart. Family discipleship is about fighting for the heart. We can't fight for the heart until we fight from the heart. Look with me uh, in verses 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your... Okay, that was weak. Let's try again. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You shall love Him with all of your knowledge, with all of your soul, your affections and your desires, and with all of your might, your ability, your capabilities. But listen what he's saying. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Before our kids can do this, parents, grandparents, leaders, we must first love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our strength. Look at verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Before it can be alive in our kids, it has to be alive in us. Here's what he's saying. Mom, it's your love for Jesus, your love for the church, your love for the word, your love for the gospel, your love for others. Is it so compelling in your life that when your kids look at you, they want what you have? Fathers, when your kid, when your spouse looks at your life, 
Do they see a love for Jesus, a love for the Word, a love for the church, a love for the lost that's so compelling in you that they want to have what you have? Grandparents, do your children, do your grandchildren, do they look at your life and they see a love for God and a love for others and a love for the Word and a love for the church that's so alive and so compelling they say, I don't want your fishing rods, I don't want the trip to Disney, I want what you have. Is there something leaders in us, if you serve in a ministry, is there something alive in us that's so compelling that the children that we serve and the students we serve, they look at our lives and say, I don't know what they have, but I need that. See, it has to be alive in us. Before we can fight for the heart, we have to fight from the heart. How many of you have ever ridden on an airplane before? Anyone? Okay. Thank you for joining me in this. So if you get on an airplane, the stewardess comes up, the flight attendant, and they go through all the safety procedures. Some of us listen, some of us don't. uh, But you kind of partly listen anyways. Well, in the loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks fall from the ceilings. Who are you supposed to put the oxygen mask on first? Yourself, right? Because our tendency would be to look around and try to help others. But here's the point. If you pass out on the plane, you're no good to anyone else. Right? Moms and dads, if you and I, if we're spiritually malnourished, you're no good to your kids. Grandparents, if you're spiritually malnourished, you are no good to your children, your grandchildren. Leaders, if we are spiritually malnourished, We are no good to the children we serve. Now, can God work in spite of us? Yes, he can. Is it God's work, not our work? Yes, it is. But God works through his people most clearly and most evidently when we are pursuing him, when we're loving him, when we're having an abiding relationship with him. So one of the greatest things that you and I can give to our children is an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. lastly, family discipleship is an awesome adventure that does not happen randomly or haphazardly, but instead requires strategy, intentionality, and conviction. And this is what I want to leave you with. This is what I want you to think about. Up to this point, I've been trying to hold out this awesome privilege and responsibility that all of us have been given by God. To help the next generation to find their joy in Jesus. To leverage the moments that God has given us. And it's for the whole faith family. And it's about bringing glory to God. And it comes from our heart and fighting for the heart. But ultimately, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's an awesome, it's a weighty adventure. But if you look at the definition, it doesn't happen randomly or haphazardly. And I just will be the first to say... It's really easy to be guilty as a parent planning vacation, planning education, planning sports. We've got camps, we've got drills, we've got all these things lined up. We'll plan all these things out. But when it comes to the spiritual growth of our children, we kind of just throw it up to chance. We're going to pray at the dinner table. We'll read the Bible some nights. We'll take them to church every now and again and hope that when they hit 18 and they become an adult, that they'll love and follow Jesus. Here's my challenge. What if we took all that other stuff and not throw it away, but say, you know what, that's not ultimately what's most important. What's most important when our children hit 18 is that they love Jesus with all their heart, with all their soul, all their strength. And what if we parent 
What if we grandparent? What if we invest in? What if we served our kids, our students, like that was the most important thing? It would require strategy. We need a plan. It would require intentionality. It's something that we're going to make a priority in our lives. But ultimately, it requires conviction. We truly believe this is what matters most. And in this passage, we see that. The next few verses, he talks about diligently teach your children. What, what does that mean? Well, to teach isn't I give information, then they do something with it. To teach in Hebrew means to cause to learn. It's my responsibility and your responsibility to cause our children to learn to love God with all their hearts, making an impression on them, not just trying to be impressive to them. He says to do it diligently, and diligence takes work, it takes effort, it takes planning, it takes priority. It's not random, it's not haphazard. If you want to get in shape and drop 20 pounds, you don't just do it randomly. Well, I'll eat Subway today and Taco Bell tomorrow and maybe run a little bit, and then by the end of the month, you know, no, you'd look at me and say, that's a terrible idea if I wanted to lose 20 pounds. You say, you need a plan and you need discipline and you need a, well, that's what we're talking about here. So parents, grandparents, leaders, our church family, what is your strategy? What is your plan to help the kids in your life, the students in your life, the kids in our church, the students in our church, to help them see and love and follow Jesus. Do you have a strategy? Do you have a plan? And what God through Moses is saying is, you teach them diligently, you leverage the moments when you rise up, when you're on the way, when you sit down to eat, when you go to bed. You put it on the doorpost of your house. You put it around. You put all these physical things out to remind and to teach. You make life all about the gospel. All about teaching your children. And so we've just very practically have been working on the last year and a half to provide a resource that's absolutely free for you called the Family Discipleship Plan. You can download it online. There's weekly devotionals. And every single week, and sometimes people get intimidated by it, but I just want to encourage you, if you've not downloaded a copy of it, just one week, download a copy, read the devotion for one week. Just do that. And every week there is one truth one big truth, that's it, that you can sit down with your grandkids and talk about, that you can sit down with your kids and talk about a big truth like God is holy. It's a big thing, but it's a simple thing. And then if you need more resources, there are Bible verses, and there are Bible stories, and there are activities, and there are illustrations, and there's commentary, and there's all kinds of resources to help you look awesome in front of your child. You say, I'm not a very creative person. You don't have to be. We've been creative for you. But I have a hard time knowing what to say. You don't have to come up with what to say. We've, we've given it to you. And it's just, you take five, ten minutes a week. That's all it is to help your child see Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of other resources built around it. And it's growing. And you can help us do that. And it's a strategy. See, a strategy is not a, a, a manual, a user's manual. It's, it's a roadmap. A user's manual is a step-by-step, and you get out of sequence, you mess everything up. That's not what this is. The family discipleship plan is a roadmap. It's, this is where we are, this is where we want to be when our child is 18 years old, adult, headed off into the world, and it's planning a roadmap to get you there. And every family is going to take some different paths, 
Every child is going to look a little bit different. And when you do family devotion, it might be different than when someone else. We're not prescribing any of it. We're just helping you chart a course of family discipleship and saying the most important thing that you and I can invest in as parents, as grandparents and leaders is to help the next generation see and follow Jesus Christ. And that doesn't happen accidentally or randomly. It takes purpose, and it takes pursuit, and it happens in the little moments of life. If you want to build a meaningful history with your kids, start by changing what happens this week. Our lives are not built around massive, life-changing, life-altering decisions. In fact, most of us could probably have only had two or three of those in our lives. What defines our trajectory are not these massive choices we have to make. It's the everyday little things that shape our character, shape our heart. And so here's just four really practical things. However you do family discipleship, whether you use the family discipleship planner on your own, I would encourage you to do it. I'll just read these. One is consistency. Say it often. A second is clarity. Say it in a way they can understand it. A third is creativity. Figure out ways to engage them where they are. And the fourth one, they're all C's because I'm a Baptist and, you know, that just helps us. It's counsel. Bring other people into the conversation. Leverage the faith family with you. So here's what I want to do to close. We have a video that I want to show. These are from people inside our church. Earlier you got to see families who are beginning the parenting stage. This is a picture of a family who's ending that. Their child's now heading into adulthood. What could it look like for us if we make the gospel the ultimate priority of our parenting. Check this out. Hi, I'm John Cabanus. This is my wife, Karen, and my daughter, Allison. We've been members of Tri-Cities for ten and a half years. I'm a senior at Science Hill High School, and when I graduate, I'll be attending University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and majoring in nursing. I'll be spending six weeks of my summer in Ecuador with the IMB Student Program Endeavor, and we'll just be working with a missionary family down there, doing some BBS work, some school work, and helping a church plant that's down there as well. We say all the time in church that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I wanted that to be true of my life, and so giving up my summer is helping me to have only Jesus and know only Jesus. I would say that I don't really want her to go and spend six weeks of her summer in Ecuador. Um, I would love to have her near me where I know where she is and who she's with and what time she'll be home. And, um, but at the same time, I also know that um, the Lord has um, very clearly called her to go. Ultimately, I think that it's better for her to be thousands of miles away doing what God has called her to do than sitting at home beside me on the couch and being in disobedience to His will. We've been asked sometimes why Allison would go for six weeks in the summer to another country. And, you know, we ultimately go back to the Great Commission that we're to go and make disciples and to teach others about Jesus. It's just ultimately what we would want to do. And so we really can't imagine her spending her summer anywhere else. I think there are a lot of things that that young parents with small kids can do. I mean, you can um, uh, 
model for them what it means to serve and what it means to go, um, even in small ways. And um, by you know making cookies for a sick neighbor or um, food distribution at Keystone. I mean there are a lot of uh, a lot of the um, home activities in the family discipleship plan are great ways to begin very early to model to your kids what it what it means to live life on mission and. We just have so many opportunities here at Tri-Cities for, for students and for families to be able to take um, a portion of their time, whether it's a week or, or like Allison, six weeks or, or even longer to, to go outside of this local body to leverage their lives for the gospel. I would just encourage families with children of any age to begin to make it um, a lifestyle, a way of life for you. Psalms 127 tells us that children are a gift from God and that they're like an arrow and that uh, we are to launch them into the world. So I would encourage you to dedicate your child to the Lord and to launch them into the world, to hold on to them, but hold on to them loosely and be kingdom minded in all that you do. I invite the band to come up and we're not going to sing, but as a response, here's what I want you to think about. What do you want, for those of you who are parents, grandparents in the room, what, what do you want your senior graduating, moving into adulthood, what, what do you want it to look like for them? We have a limited amount of time. I'm going to leverage it for what matters most. That doesn't mean that necessarily your child goes to Ecuador over the summer or goes to Crossroad on the mission trip, but what would it look like for you and for me? What would it look like for our families, for our church family? If the kids coming out of this church, moving to adulthood, stepped across that stage at graduation with a heart that resolutely says, I love Jesus, I love the Lord with all of my heart, with all my soul, and all my strength, and my life is for His glory. What would that change? What would that look like? It would change our city. It would change our nation. It would change the homes. It would change the families. And so what I want to urge you is the most significant thing the majority of us will do with our lives is not something we actually do, but someone we raise. All of us are disciple makers in our home, of our grandkids, in this church family. The question is, are we helping them and pointing them to find their joy in Jesus or something else? What are you pointing the people that God has placed in your life this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We're not going to sing. I just want this to be a time of reflection. We're almost finished. And here's two questions I want to ask. Here's the first question I just want you to meditate on and even talk to the Lord about in the stillness of this moment, and it's this. What conviction is driving you and your family? What is ultimate for you? If you were to ask your kids, what do you think mom or dad, grandparent, grandma, maybe, whatever it is, loves most, what would they say? If you ask them what they think that you value most, because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, what would they say? And what would it look like for you to just shift in your heart, in your parenting, in your grandparenting, and being a brother, sister, and uncle, what would it look like to just shift and say, you know what? I want it to be about God. What would that take? And here's the second question. What's your next step? What's the next step? In your home, with your kids? Maybe it's to 
serve here in the faith family. Maybe there's a family that's been on your heart, your mind, in your life group, your study group, and you just need to talk to your parents and say, hey, I don't know what this means, but I wanna, I'm going to at least pray for your kids, but I'm here, and I want to help. I want to serve with you and alongside of you. What's the next step for you? Father, we just pray that our church would be marked as a place that raises up generations who love you with all they are and all they have and all they want. I pray that over the families. Pray that over my family that it would be true. Lord, we need you. We thank you for Mother's Day. We thank you for the moms who fight that fight every day. We pray they'd be encouraged in you, that they would be spurred on in you. We pray that what is said here, what we've learned from your word, would not just walk out and not be used. Father, but you'd use it to change us. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to transition uh, into time of offering, and we worship through our giving. And so if you're an usher, I just want to invite you to go ahead and move into place. And this morning, one of the ways that we show where our treasure is, is through our giving and our generosity. And so I'm just going to pray over our time of giving, and then we're going to move into that, and then we'll be finished this morning. Would you just pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you that you first gave to us, gave your son, and everything we have is a gift from you. And we just give back freely to you, entrusting uh, our possessions and our things into your hand for your kingdom and your glory. We thank you for your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen.